Okay, um, we're in Romans chapter 6, and so if you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, we'll be getting to that text. Um, I learned a poem when I was in undergrad at Lipscomb. I'm curious to know if anybody else has heard this poem. I don't know. I don't even remember if I heard it in the dorm room or I heard it in a class. I can't remember, but I just kind of want to do a poll, see if I know some of you uh, went to Lipscomb maybe, if you ever heard this poem. It goes, salvation by grace, O blessed condition, we can sin all we want and still get remission. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that before? Nope. Where did I get that? I do not know where I got that. Probably yeah, probably in the dorm for sure. <laughs> salvation by grace, O blessed condition, we can sin all we want and still get remission. Woohoo! I remember we talked about it like, yeah. I mean, I know we knew it was kind of a facetious thing, but I don't know if it was just my age at the time, but the idea of being able, still being able to sin and getting forgiveness sounded like a pretty neat deal. Um, but I want to ask you, what do you, what's your analysis of that poem? The rhyming may not be great. The meter may not be great. But how, what about the meaning? It seems like salvation is inextricably linked to some sort of justification. In that, like, there's no other dimension besides like atonement or something <coughs> to salvation. So salvation is. It's just about pardon from sin. Yeah, getting getting my sins forgiven, regardless of the life that I'm leading. Yeah, sure. That's almost Rasputin's philosophy. What did Rasputin say? The Russian, Russian, uh, I guess he was a czar, but he he was was so... But his whole whole, uh, deal was, I'm denying God's grace if I don't sin enough. Mm -hmm. I want to keep sinning so that I can... Yeah. I think the uh, French philosopher Voltaire said, um, when somebody asked it, I think it was on a deathbed confession type thing, would you like to do last rites or whatever? And he said, well, God will forgive me. That's his job. That's what God does. He forgives people. So don't worry about, don't really have to worry about the sin so much because God will forgive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you first get on the cholesterol medicine, you're like, I don't have to watch what I eat anymore. I can just take this <laughs> cholesterol medicine. <laughs> I'll take some bacon, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's an understanding of sin, that sin is kind of the fun, maybe fun but naughty, but, but it's fun stuff that you get to do uh, that you can't do when you're a Christian, uh, but we still want to do. Um, and so grace is a way of, we don't have to change our life, and we can still go to heaven when we die, is the whole goal. Um, so I think, you know, a good response is, well, I don't want to sin all I want. 
Why would I want to do that? If you have the right understanding of what sin is. Sin is something that leads you away from true life. Uh, the life that you've always wanted. The life that God has made for you. So you don't want to continue in sin. Uh, even if you could get forgiven of it. Does that, does that track with you? But I, I think sometimes we just don't, we don't think of sin in those terms and it changes everything once you uh, think of sin in those terms. George, is that because we look at sin as like arbitrary rules rather than like, like arbitrary morality instead of human flourishing sort of sense? I think so. It's, it's a whole different way of thinking about how God set up the world. So God set up the world and he wanted everybody to be perfect. And so he, he gives us these moral codes to live by. And if you don't live by them, then um, he has to punish you. Uh, instead of God setting up the world and gave us um, a vocation to live into and wants what's best for us, it's okay. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Paper Bibles don't do that, so we got to get back to paper Bibles. Um, there's a vocation he wants us to live into, and sin is what keeps us from living that vocation out. So sin is not something we would want to do if we understand it correctly. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a relational view. It's more of a just a, a grade book accounting view. Very good. Uh, I still, maybe I, I didn't try to Google that poem. I should try to do that and see if it's out there on the web somewhere. Or, I don't know. Maybe somebody in the dorm room made that, made that up. But it, it's a good one. Um, maybe you made it up. Maybe I made it up. I, I could have and forgotten about it. Um, I'm not, I don't usually write poems, but if I were, that would be about the level I could get to. Um, so in chapter 5, uh, we talked about uh, Paul's mentioning there's, you know, through one man sin came into the world. So we have the Adam sphere. And then um, with Jesus, we have, with the Messiah, now we have the world of the Messiah, which brings life and redemption. And that um, redemption word is a word that has to do with slavery. And the key story in the Old Testament that has to do with slavery is the Exodus story. And I think it really helps us to see an Exodus theme in Romans. And uh, we can also see it elsewhere in Paul. I think we'll look at 1 Corinthians 10 here in a minute. But so you have uh, Pharaoh enslaving the Israelites. Um, the parallel in Romans is that we are enslaved by sin or he doesn't use this word in Romans but something like the powers or idolatry um, God gives us over in Romans chapter 1 uh, to idolatry and sin and then in the Exodus story they are brought through the Red Sea and I think for Paul that parallels baptism we're going to talk about that in a second they get the law at some point uh, in the wilderness there. And we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 that parallel of that is the Holy Spirit. We don't get it so much in chapter 6, but we'll get a big dose of that in chapter 8. And then the promised land, 
they are taken into the promised land through uh, the Jordan River. What is the parallel to the promised land? What's the parallel if you think of our songs that we sing in church sometimes? Um, it's heaven when you die. But I think in Romans, uh, we're going to see that it's a new heavens and a new earth. Romans chapter 8, all creation longs to be free from the curse. Um, so it's a, a different thought, but I think it's more about life. Um, the life that we live now in hope for a renewed new heavens and a new earth and uh, life with God in that sense. All right, so that Exodus typology. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because just a few verses there, he makes it even more direct than we see it here in Romans 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So as the Israelites went through uh, baptism into Moses and drank spiritual drink and ate spiritual food, so that's similar to, I think, what we would call the Lord's Supper. So you have baptism, you have the Lord's Supper, uh, but yet some of those Israelites wanted to go back into slavery. Um, and Paul's saying, uh, why would you want to go back into slavery? Uh, to the powers or to sin. Um, and so these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. All right, you see that? Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter 6 and go through some things here. Josh, anything you want to add at this point? Okay. What shall we say then? Shall we... Um, Remain in sin is a more literal translation. Shall we remain in sin so that grace may abound? So that remain in sin language, I, I like that more exact translation because it's should we remain in this sphere of sin, the world of sin? Um, because grace reached us while we were still sinners, Romans chapter 5. While we were enemies, God's grace reached us. So should we just stay in that world? So that grace may increase. We'll add something here. The, yeah. Um, the NIV translation sounds like it's talking about ongoing acts, but as you said, it's it's singular throughout here. So it's sin as power, not acts of sin. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to help us to see it as different spheres that we live in. Um, you know, and I do think God's grace meets us where we are. It just it doesn't leave us there. And that's the key that I think sometimes in our uh, churches, since we preach so much about grace, uh, it's easy to neglect the fact that grace doesn't leave you where you are. It expects some sort of change in your life. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in Romans 6. Um, he says, Meganoito in Greek, which means uh, may it not be, may it not happen. Uh, King James famously translated that God forbid. 
because that was the strongest negative in King James English, I suppose. There's no word for God here, no word for forbid here. That's just kind of the way they took it. So um, Clarence Jordan, who translated um, in southern Georgia, and he knew Greek really well, he translated it into the strongest negative in English. So he translated it, hell no. Which is interesting to have a translation with, with that in there. Um, so that's a strong negative. Shall we, shall we remain in sin so that grace may abound? Heck no. Can't say it more than once. Um, not in Sunday school. I can say it a lot outside of Sunday school. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I usually say to the no, though, just to make it more. Uh, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's basic answer to why should we not continue in sin that grace may abound is it goes against your baptism. So we need to talk about baptism. And in Churches of Christ, if you're from Church of Christ tradition, uh, I mean, we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit on this. I mean, we got, I think we got the practice of baptism uh, right because of our patternism from reading the book of Acts. And uh, in the book of Acts, when somebody came to faith and believed, they got baptized the same hour of the night. My dad used to say, without drinking a drink or eating a bite, well, I think there is one place where they get a, a bite to eat. I, I mentioned that to him one time. He's like, well, I, I don't know. But it, uh, <laughs> there's typically no delay in getting baptized. But um, I guess on the negative side of that is there can also be push, um, an overemphasis if you preach baptism as it's a work that you do to complete what God has done for you. Now you do your part. Um, and that's where I think sometimes uh, we have preached baptism uh, in an inappropriate way. Uh, I think in Paul's day, he could assume that every Christian was baptized, not the same in our, in our day and age, although I think the vast majority of Christian denominations baptize in some sense of that word. Does anybody know of, a, of churches that don't baptize at all? Is that something that happens? I don't know if there's churches that don't, but, you know, I think there was, like, I have a quote here from N.T. Wright's um, commentary in the New International, or New Interpreter's Bible. 
when uh, he says that Paul says, as many of you were baptized into Christ, and that should be a motivation for you not to continue in sin. He says, this comes as a shock to many a good Protestant reader, accustomed to regard baptism simply as an outward expression of a believer's faith, and anxious about any suggestion that the act itself, or indeed any outward act, might actually change the way things are in the spiritual realm. So, in the Protestant world, we're so there's such an emphasis on you can't do anything to be saved. Um, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And if you understand works to be just doing things, then emphasizing baptism feels like you're de-emphasizing faith. I think, uh, number one, for Paul, when he says we're not saved by works, he, he mostly means works of the law, Old Testament law, um, circumcision, food laws, Sabbath keeping, that type of thing. I don't think Paul means doing things. Uh, but I also think for Paul that faith and baptism are kind of the inside and outside of the same thing. I think I got that language from Harvey Floyd. Just to give a shout out to Harvey Floyd, who was... <laughs> blasphemed in this class uh, the first week but um, baptism and faith faith and baptism inside and outside now they are definitely different things I mean you come to faith at some point and you get baptized later and there were debates in the church I grew up in of what if you die before you get baptized you have the faith part but you don't have the baptism part I mean, it's, it's a shocking to me now that this was important to us, but it was important. We put so much emphasis on the act of baptism that there was question about what if you just had faith and you hadn't gone through the act of baptism yet. We, didn't, we weren't sure you were really saved. Yeah. 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 When are you officially married? When you say I do, when the preacher says I now pronounce you, when you consummate, when you uh, get the marriage certificate, in which case uh, our preacher, Dr. Paul Prill, did not send in the proper paperwork, apparently. Or, uh, so we lived in sin for, from December 31st to February 14th. We got anyway, so On Valentine's Day, we went and made it official at the courthouse. I think part of the problem is we human beings, our conception of time, it's a very linear thing. What kind of helped me was you put in a certain window that I say was when I believe, was when I repented, was when I confessed. But the answer to all of that is yes. God's, God's time frame, the baptism though becomes such a sign, it's a symbol, as Romans 4 talks about. Uh, Abraham was saved before he was circumcised, but what if he'd refused God and wasn't circumcised? What would have happened then? It, yeah. It's an attitude of of dedication and, and Jesus was baptized so wouldn't you want to be baptized? Yeah. Why do you think we need a physical or why do you think 
or do you think we need a physical ritual like baptism as part of faith? Yeah, we used to in the dorm room again. We used to talk about uh, what if you're what if you're in the desert and there's no water around. You know, can we just bury you in sand and then make that kind of a thing? The Dodge says yes. Who does? The Dodge. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he says uh, I call it the Didache. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. The Didache. Uh, it's an early church document that that addresses the question now. It's proof that they thought everybody should be baptized, but then they talk about, well, what if you don't? And the, the best way to do it in that document, and it comes from second century, didache. It's a Greek word for teaching, as in didactic. So didache. Um, they want it to be done in living water, which means it was good to be in running water. Um, don't know exactly why. Maybe there's some symbolism to that. But if, they, if you don't have that, then it's okay to do it in still water. If you don't have that, then it's okay to pour. If you don't have that, then what? It, it's, water, it's immersion, sprinkling, and sand. Sand. Yeah, okay. You sand. So yeah. technically, you're twin. That's sand. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It seems like part of our hang-up goes back to this idea that, like, it's all this transactional play of like forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. and so then any of the th- like the five fingers like well we've got to do all of these things in order for the transactional thing to process so like I went through it I was a child of the 90s Max Licato all that stuff that was going on at Church of Christ so my parents were all on the grace train and as I as I got older <laughs> so I was like well yeah you don't have to be baptized to be saved obviously blah 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 and then as I've gotten older, I've realized maybe it's even more important than just looking at it from a transactional perspective. Because if we believe that that salvation is not just a transaction, but something about our whole lives no longer being a part of the way things operate on uh, in the kingdoms of the world, but, in the, but we're transferring to the kingdom of God, it truly is a symbolic representation to the people that I'm not that same person anymore and my allegiances, like all my allegiances are dying with me as I go under the water and come back up um, to a brand new full allegiance. Yeah, it's, it's a great ritual that reenacts a, a burial and a resurrection. So it has a lot of strength as a ritual on that basis. Yeah. That that we struggle with finding otherwise. Yeah. Does that make sense? And he gave yeah. us that gift, I think, that we he knew we needed. It's it's more of a gift than a hoop to jump through. Right. Um, and in case you couldn't hear our comment, he's, we need physical because we are physical beings. Um, 
And so we have baptism, we have Lord's Supper. Um, I think the assembly is an important sacrament as well, uh, especially, you know, there's options now to do it all online. You can just stay at home and watch your computer. Um, but I think there's a different dynamic when we're physically in a same space that's different than just being by yourself that adds to that. Yeah. Well, even if we don't know exactly, for example, when you get married, we, we all recognize that you're married. When you go through all those steps, you're married now. Um, and what, what Paul says is that your baptism is a motivating force for you not to remain in sin. Um, and that's, that's what I want us to spend some time talking about as well is... Um, why is our baptism a motivator for us? But maybe it's similar to like a marriage promise where once you go through that ceremony, you can break your promise, but you can't undo that you made a promise. And so in baptism, yeah, Christians don't stay true to their promise, uh, but we are in a different status after that whole process than we were before, and we can't undo that, Paul says. Um, you can't go back. Um, it should motivate you to stay in the world of, of the Messiah instead of in the world of slavery. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else on the baptism? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially when baptism uh, involved going to a river in public and there's people that walk by and can see and say, what's going on there? Yeah. Um, you know, John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. Little Bible trivia, do you know where in the Jordan River he baptized? Which side of the Jordan River so the far side the far side from Israel so he had he gathered a group of Jewish people on the far side of the Jordan River and said I'm going to baptize you in the river you're already Jewish but uh, he proclaimed a Messiah who was coming who would baptize not just with water but with the Holy Spirit 
But so he was forming a group of Jews who recognized, and it was for the mission of sin, so it's kind of anti-temple, that the process that's going on in the nation needs renewal. And so we're kind of crossing over the Jordan River, uh, a new Israel, a renewed Israel, uh, symbolism in the baptism of John the Baptist. And he didn't just make up the ritual of baptism. There's water rites were already being done. It is different because it was a one-time baptism, which uh, Jewish water rituals, you could do more than once. Yeah. can't be taught wrong and baptized right. That's what my dad used to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's, I think we're at a, that's a product of a world that, that was not around in Paul's day. Um, so you did have there was one case where the disciples in Acts 19, John's disciples, hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul baptizes them to receive the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's different. Um, you know, I think once we move, move back from the legalistic view of baptism, um, the, some of those questions drift away. Um, I don't think you've got to be baptized in, well... That's, I just say those drift away. I don't even want to say <laughs> exactly. Yes? I was just going to ask you to talk more about the ceremonial washings uh, in, in the Jewish faith. What was the purpose of that? Yeah, it was more ritual cleansing. So if you touch a dead body or something like that, you, then you would go down. You could do it yourself. Go down into, it's called a mikvah, a little pool they had created, baptistry, right? Um, and then you come out. So... It was, it was something you would do fairly often. Um, now, there, is, there was a proselyte baptism where if you wanted to convert to Judaism, we don't know how far back that goes. There's debate over does that predate the time of Jesus or not. Uh, I think it probably does. So that could be a model for what John was doing, John the Baptist was doing. But it, He definitely is doing a little bit different because he's baptizing them uh, looking forward to a Messiah who is going to come. Yeah. In recent years, Carrie Underwood has shaped my theology of baptism. Carrie Underwood, what is what's there her? There must be something in the water. There must be something in the water. I don't. What song is that? There must be something in the water. Oh, that's. Uh, is it about baptism or? It is. Okay. It's where she meets. It's not God. Jesus take the wheel. No. Okay. That's <laughs> 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 I need to look for that song. I'll look for that. Okay. Um, let's look at... Um, let's see. i got to get back. Oh, I was in... Just to prove the point about baptism and faith, go to Galatians chapter 3, verse um, 26. Galatians 3.26, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
So in the same breath, so to speak, he mentions through faith and being baptized. So I think for Paul, those, those things just go together um, in ways that maybe in our Christian world they've been separated. Um, and I think in some ways separated out of just this fear of tying a, a ritual act with salvation but that I don't think is uh, we need to be afraid of. Okay, um, was there somewhere in there where he says something about being a slave to sin? Um, verse 6. We should no longer be slaves to sin. I think this is going to help us in Romans chapter 7. You know, in Romans 7 where Paul says, I, the things I don't do, I do, and the things I don't want to do, I, or whatever. Uh, he, do, he does the things he doesn't want to do, and whatever. So, uh, is that a Christian? Is he is that a Christian? Is he a Christian talking about that dilemma, or pre-Christian? And um, he says in Romans chapter seven that he is sold as a slave to sin when he's talking about that. Um, verse fourteen: We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I think this language in chapter six. That can't be a Christian. I'm, I'm stepping on your territory here, but I don't think that I don't know how that can be a Christian um, description, because he's saying in chapter six, if you're a Christian, you're no longer a slave to sin. You've been, you've been led out of the, of slavery into a new sphere of existence. Okay, verse twelve. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So he brings in the law here. And verse 14, you're not under the law, but under grace. And so he connects law and sin together. Um, this is going to um, come up in chapter 7 as well. Um, he doesn't really explain it fully here. But I think he's saying, um, if you think you're going to be saved by the law, and I think mostly he means Jewish law here, uh, that's still in the world of Adam. Uh, the Messiah came and fulfilled the law and gave us the Holy Spirit, which is what, like having the law written on your heart. Uh, so Christians are no longer under law, but under grace uh, through the Spirit. Um, the law serves to magnify sin. Um, we'll talk about this in chapter 7 for sure. Um, what that means. Now, when he says you've been set free from sin and you're slaves to righteousness, so 
we go from being slaves and we're set free to be slaves to righteousness. Um, what do you think about that, that language? Slaves to righteousness. It seems to indicate that freedom is an autonomy. He said it seems to indicate that freedom is not autonomy. Now what does that mean in English? <laughs> so it would mean that we, what we think in Western culture is freedom is the idea that no one is going to interfere with whatever mm-hmm. we want to do. Yeah. Um, what Paul understands as freedom is the difference between being controlled by your own autonomous desires and whims and relinquishing that to letting God control your desires and whims. Yeah. And so that is, that is freedom even though it's not, it's not autonomous. Yeah. I think, yeah. You're going to serve something. So. Everybody's going to serve somebody. I think that's Bob Dylan to <laughs> quote. Uh, everybody's going to serve somebody. Yeah. Um, some, I, I like, someone has pointed out to me one time that back to the baptism example, it's more like a driver's license than a birth certificate. A uh, birth certificate is a certifies that an act was done. A driver's license certifies that you have the freedom now to participate in an activity that you did not have the freedom to do before. It, and that doesn't mean that you there are no rules because we all have to drive on the right side of the road and we can't run red lights. And that's because for everybody to enjoy driving, there has to be some rules that, that monitor that. So we have been set free from slavery to sin. Uh, now we have a, a purpose and we have a way of, of life. And uh, that doesn't mean that we're free from um, regulations of some, some sort. Um, but if we have the Spirit within us and the law is written on our hearts, then it really is... Uh, Go and live that out. Love, love God and love your neighbor as yourself are the rules. Yeah. Okay, let's just read a few more verses here, and then I'm going to give Josh a chance to say something if he wants. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, so it's that what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Verse 21 is literally... What fruit, what was the fruit of your life when you were slaves to sin? So it is more about, and I think rightly, when we're rightly thinking, we see that the fruit of sin in our own lives now, you can bracket out hell when you die. Uh, the fruit of sin now is death. It's, it's a worse life. Um, and the fruit of righteousness is holiness and eternal life, the life of the ages. So.
Josh, you want to add something um, from here? Although we like to pit Paul and James against one another, this is just like what you get in James, that, that sin leads to death. He kind of has sin as a downward spiral in James. And uh, to borrow Roman's language, and kind of to reverse the analogy, uh, obedience to righteousness or God is the upward spiral, so to speak, or ever-increasing goodness and holiness in life. Um, with the baptism thing, the thing I would connect growing up not in Churches of Christ is some of the downplay of baptism, I think, is because we focus so much on uh, what an inner kind of saving or saving of our souls so we can go to heaven, and we lose the idea of bodily resurrection and uh, the God redeeming this world. And so when we only have an otherworldly thing, we can't make sense of a physical, thisworldly act. But when we see a thisworldly uh, restoration, then it makes sense to have a thisworldly act connected with it, to kind of piggyback off what Lauren said. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the two things. I don't have a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, I'll just leave you with this thought. Um, the idea that now we are slaves to righteousness, <clears throat> I mean, there's some uh, mental contradiction in the sense that we know that we're not perfect. And uh, there's still sin in our lives. But in some sense, once you have dedicated your life to the Messiah through, because of his faithfulness and through your faith in his faithfulness, sin no longer has the reigning power in your life. And just living that out, remembering that being who you are is what the Christian life's about. It's not about perfection, it's direction, as the preachers say. But... I think it's going to motivate us and help us if we realize we have been transferred into a new sphere of existence. And we got to let that try to breathe, let that try to live out, not saying that you're perfect. And Paul, of course, knows that there are people in churches that are not perfect. And he writes letters to them, especially 1 Corinthians. So he's not saying that it's a perfection thing, but he is saying that you're no longer a slave to sin. And recognize that and try to live it out is, is I think, the difficult part. All right, thank you very much for being here this morning. Have a good week. I don't know. How's it's it go? The, it's just the idea that God that that when you are baptized, you 